Or am I? Good morning. I'm Judith Lay and this is Praise, the programme that connects faith and daily life. Radio. Slavery, a relic of the Victorian age or a very modern problem? On today's programme, we discover that it's modern, it's massive and worst of all, we're all involved. But first, some music, the work of a slave trader who became an Anglican priest. Grace, sung there by the Kingdom Choir, the British Gospel Choir from London, who rose to fame after singing at the wedding of the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. There are featured musicians today, and there'll be more from them later in the programme. It's been said that Amazing Grace is the spiritual autobiography of its composer, John Newton. 
At the age of 11, Newton went to sea with his father, where he proved to be disobedient, unreliable and unpredictable. He not only denounced God as a myth, but also mocked any of his fellow seafarers who were believers, behaviour that he took into his adult life, where he was conscripted into the Royal Navy. From this, he moved into the Atlantic slave trade, and it was whilst he was at sea, off the coast of Ireland, that his ship hit a violent storm. At the worst point, he cried out, Lord, have mercy upon us. And having survived that ordeal, he kept reflecting on his words and became convinced that God had sent him a message, that he was working through him. Newton's conversion wasn't instant. He continued slave trading whilst courting the woman who would later become his wife. And it was only after they were married, and he was reluctant to keep leaving her, that he gave up the sea, became a customs agent in Liverpool and began teaching himself Latin, Greek and theology. John Newton and his wife Polly immersed themselves in the local church community, where his friends thought he was an ideal candidate for ordination. At first he was turned down, but Newton continued his devotions and his studies and eventually all was well. He was ordained and he became a curate in Olney in Buckinghamshire, where he wrote Amazing Grace. He's not known to have linked the hymn directly to anti-slavery sentiments, although it's very likely that the wretchedness mentioned in the first verse was his own realisation of the evil of slave trading. It was only after he left Olney that Newton became an outspoken abolitionist, and he joined forces with a young member of Parliament called William Wilberforce, who was campaigning for the abolition of slavery in the British Empire. The campaign was successful and the Slave Trade Act became law over 200 years ago. So how shameful is it that just a week ago at Birmingham Crown Court, eight Polish people were jailed for operating the most extensive, ambitious and prolific modern-day slavery network ever exposed in the UK. The five men and three women controlled at least 400 people and, over a period of five years, made in excess of £2 million profit for themselves. The group targeted the most vulnerable in their homeland, those who were homeless, ex-prisoners, alcoholics, and tricked them into leaving Poland with the promise of a better life in the UK. In reality, they were made to live in appallingly squalid, overcrowded conditions, made to do menial work, and all their wages were controlled by the gang. They were threatened, humiliated and beaten by gang enforcers if they dared to complain. The network only collapsed when two victims, desperate for food, went to a soup kitchen operated by the anti-slavery charity Hope for Justice. Hope for Justice volunteers recognised the signs of modern-day slaves, so they befriended them and became involved in a police investigation that came to court only after four years of painstaking work building up a robust case for prosecution. In her summing up, Judge Mary Stacy paid tribute to the invaluable work done by the charity Hope for Justice and also said, It is clear that slavery continues in the UK often in plain sight. I'm sure this story shocks you as much as it does me, but sadly it won't come as any surprise to my guest this morning. Manx-born Zoe Anderson works for the largest anti-slavery charity in the world, 
International Justice Mission, and on a very brief visit to spend a couple of days with her family in Patrick, she very kindly spared me a little time to record this conversation. First, I asked Zoe for her reactions to the destruction of a UK slavery network. When this case broke, we were celebrating actually that the fact that law enforcement were recognising a charity come alongside them and ensure justice for all the people involved in this horrendous case. But sadly, yeah, as you say, it's not. This is not uncommon. We live in a world where an estimated 40 million people are being held in slavery today, held under these horrendous circumstances, as many will have seen in the images in the news, as was the case in Birmingham. So no, we were not shocked, but actually deeply deeply grateful for how the profile that this case has received and how um, charities coming alongside law enforcement to ensure justice. So it's a really big step here in the UK. Zoe, tell me a little bit about your organisation, International Justice Mission. International Justice Mission is the largest anti-slavery organisation in the world. So as you said, we work in 11 different countries in 18 different offices. And throughout all of those, we are working to protect the world's poorest from violence. So what you see in a lot of these countries is there's a beautiful shiny law on the shelf. Slavery is illegal. Actually, there's a problem with the law enforcement. There is blockages, there's weaknesses, and that means that it's the world's poorest that are vulnerable to exploitation. And we see different forms of slavery around the world. So we're working to rescue people out of these forms of slavery and strengthen the justice systems to protect the poor. Are we suggesting here that there's a blind eye being turned? There is a law to protect the people, mm. but it isn't actually being used. Yes, there are many countries, even though the law is in place, actually there's there's real issues in the law enforcement and the public justice system. So that's why we have the, the largest amount of slaves that we've ever had throughout history in the world today, because actually the law is not being well enforced. But we're seeing dramatic, amazing changes of actually the transformation of justice systems. It's possible. We've seen beautiful, amazing stories of redemption and hope. Individual stories, but also whole nations. So a really exciting time to be facing into such darkness because actually there's real, real hope. So I'm speaking with a lot of hope this morning. Are there any countries where slavery is worse than others? In India, we have four offices working to tackle different forms of exploitation in Bangalore, Chennai, Delhi and Calcutta. Some of those are working to tackle sex trafficking. Others are working to tackle forced labour slavery in farms or in brick kilns or rice mills, this kind of thing. And in somewhere like South Asia in India, you get statistics like that someone is more likely to be struck by lightning and killed than they are to go to prison for enslaving someone else. So this is just unprecedented numbers where actually people know that they can get away with exploiting another person. So actually what we're doing is we're coming alongside justice systems and actually making it known that no, you won't get away with this and trying to flip that statistic on its on its head. One of my favourite stories from India is about this wee girl called Sadhana and I think I identify with her because of how she was before she faced this violence she was wildly fun. She was adventurous and she would climb the tallest trees in the village 
and very similar to me and my siblings upbringing in the in Patrick in the west of the island and then really sadly her father died and because she's living in an area of deep poverty as soon as this unexpected circumstance happens like that someone dies or someone falls sick everything becomes much more fragile so Sadna and her family had to move to Kolkata to the big city to try and find work so that they could support themselves and this is where we find it's the poorest that are vulnerable to exploitation because they can't pay for protection. So Sadna finds herself in Kolkata and she is tricked into taking a job from a woman and the realisation of this sinks in when she wakes up naked and disorientated, surrounded by beer bottles and men and actually realises that she's become the property of someone else. In this moment, the shiny law is there on the shelf, but law enforcement isn't protecting Sadna because of her vulnerability. So in this case, IJM could come alongside the local justice officials, come alongside the police, provide evidence of this brothel, and then they could perform the rescue, put Sadna into aftercare, so she could begin her journey of healing and restoration. And the reason I, I share that story is because now she is training to be a social worker and she shares her story with many, many other young girls like her, and apparently her wildness and her cheekiness and her adventurous spirit has also returned and she's climbing those trees again. It's a big job and actually we're at a pretty pivotal time at the moment because we've just completed our 2017 vision, which was to rescue thousands, protect millions and prove that justice for the poor is possible. And we're now launching our next, our 2030 vision, which is to rescue millions, protect half a billion and prove that justice for the poor is unstoppable. And we recognise that actually to have such catalytical change and to be able to influence such numbers, it's all about empowering other organisations to do what we do well and take our model and to rescue. And actually the reason I have such hope for that is when you narrow in on one place, we look at somewhere like the Philippines, where previously... IJM would work to rescue children out of sex trafficking in the Philippines and actually over four years through our model of coming alongside justice systems, rescuing, restoring survivors and and training local officials, we saw an 86% reduction in the amount of children available for the purchase of sex in the cities that we were working. That's four years, 86% reduction. If we focus in on one place and we do one thing really well and we see transformation of a whole society and how a justice system can protect their poor, um, then other people who are doing similar crimes are going to be like, oh, maybe we won't get away with this. And actually, that's the precedent we need to set is you will not get away with your crimes. And actually, we have law for a reason. Zoe, you have grown up in a deeply Christian household mm. in, in the best way, practical Christian mm. household, because your parents always reaching out to other people in all kinds of different ways. So it was almost inevitable, wasn't it, that whatever you did, <laughs> that, that, that would have Christ at the heart of it, mm. wouldn't it? Yeah, I think that's what I love how God does that, that this, my story in witnessing and championing the freedom of others started way before I started working for IJM. At home, we grew up around a dinner table full of people who we were standing with and having hope for that actually we knew God could redeem and could restore brokenness and people of impossible situations that we got to walk alongside and see God bring freedom in so many different ways. So I think that's when God began to burden my heart for this work, for, for his hope, for his redemptive power. 
it's now that I just get to see it on an international scale. So it is my deepest, deepest privilege to be able to see impossible situations transformed. Just last night, we had a beautiful time of worship around our dinner table with my parents' home group. And this really special time of coming before God in communion with him before we go out into all of our different situations, many of which are really difficult and really painful and seem to have such little hope. So coming to International Justice yeah. Mission, to what extent does prayer come mm. into your working life? So this is one of the things I love most about my work. Internationally, we have about a thousand members of staff and every single member of staff is contracted to spend an hour of their day in prayer. And to some, this seems like the most ridiculous waste. That's approximately 5,000 hours of prayer a week, 250,000 hours of prayer a year, if my maths is right, which is a lot, a lot of prayer. But I personally think it's the most precious investment we make because we're actually only going to see global situations transform this global darkness, some of which is uncomprehendable circumstances and seems to be completely removed of all hope. Actually, we're only going to see them transformed if we're doing it in partnership with the God of justice and the God who cares more about these people than we could possibly imagine. So actually, that is one of the most significant parts of our rhythms is this coming before him, before any investigator goes undercover to gather evidence, before any lawyer goes into court to fight a battle on behalf of someone else, before any social worker goes into conversations with a child, before I speak on a stage, this rhythm of God, will you empower me? I'm st I step into what you're doing. It's wholeheartedly one of the most important things we do. We read about the nature of some of these crimes, read about the nature of the crime in Birmingham, the nature of the crime to Sadna. It just reveals such a deep brokenness that this is desperation that people are driven into doing these things to others. And I think this is where, as a nation here on the Isle of Man, we have a responsibility to pray and not occasional prayers, pray faithfully and steadily and often. Our CEO, Gary Haugen, he speaks about the walk of justice being long, slow and boring. And I think often we can shed a tear or become quite emotional about these topics and say a spontaneous prayer. But actually what the victims of this violence need and deserve is our faithfulness and our steady plodding towards what is right. And that looks like steady faithful prayer that God actually would redeem the hearts of perpetrators, that he would heal victims and survivors. It's your makes everything okay again Your love is more than I can contain I can't run away from it I won't run away from you Why would I even want to why would I even want to? I can't run away from it I won't run away from you Why would I even want to? Why would I even want to?
Richard Singers today, an original song, Chases, by the Kingdom Choir. My guest this morning, Zoe Anderson, is Manx born and bred. Her parents are John and Fiona Anderson of Patrick, and although we recorded this conversation while Zoe was here just for a family celebration, I felt sure she would want the island and its Christian family to consider partnering with her in some way in the important work she's doing with the anti-slavery charity International Justice Mission. I also wonder if our lifestyles could be part of this problem. Do we need to be more careful about tracing the true origins of what we buy? Before you've even reached nine o'clock, you have probably touched an item made by a slave. 76% of UK companies has a likelihood of slavery being within their supply chain, whether that's your mobile phone, whether that's the lipstick you put on in the morning, whether that's the clothes that you're wearing, or a product that you're using, or the coffee that you're grinding. And actually that's because if we're looking at these unbelievable statistics, of course this labour is going to leak into the products that are on our shelves here in the Isle of Man. So actually, yeah, that's one thing that we can really tangibly do today is actually think about what we're buying, be intentional in seeking out ethical companies, supporting them and just thinking before you buy. If you go onto our, our website, it's ijmuk.org, we're running a campaign called Make Slave Free Normal because actually we don't want the fair trade movement or the ethical movement to be for your local ethical expert actually we want we want slave free to be normal and we want it to be mainstream and actually that will only happen when we're championing those brands and whilst we're doing that we're sending rescue to the source of the supply chains and we're partnering with people right at where it's happening so we need that kind of double prong we have a responsibility to buy ethically and put pressure on our companies but we also need to have a responsibility to send rescue at the actual source of slavery I would love the Isle of Man to join us in what we're doing. Something I'm really excited about that I'm actually working on this afternoon with my dad. Dad is walking Land's End to John O'Groats in September. What's been amazing is to see Dad actually catch the heart of IJM and what we do and be deeply moved. He's just looking at himself and he's saying, what can I do to ensure the freedom of others? Anyone who knows him will know that he loves walking. He used to do the parish walk and he's climbed all the Munros in Scotland, so he's looking for his next challenge. So... Come September, he's walking Land's End to John O'Groats fundraising for IJM. And mum is going to support him in a little camper van. <laughs> and it's called John's Walk for Freedom. And what I love about this is his aim is to raise £15,000, which is the equivalent of three rescue operations. A rescue operation costs approximately £5,000. The biggest rescue operation we've ever had rescued 567 people, just to give you an idea of the potential of this. The reason I share that is that this is one lovely man from the west of the island who has been moved into action who actually is like okay what can I do well I have I have legs that can walk and therefore that's what I'm going to do and I think it speaks something into how God uses us you think about the wee boy with his fish and his loaves and all Jesus asks of him is to offer his fish and his loaves what he has in his pocket and Jesus does with that a miracle and I think that's all of he asks of us today is to ask him what he wants us to offer him whether that's our legs to walk whether that's our dependency to rely on him in prayer God speaks to all of us and he gives us different things gifts different gifts and I think we can use all of these to champion the justice of other people so that's something I would really challenge people on is actually take some time to think okay what do I have in my hands how can I use that to send freedom to send rescue everyone has something that they can use Oh, 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 oh,
you to my guest this morning, Zoe Anderson of the world's largest anti-slavery charity, International Justice Mission. And if you'd like to know more about the charity, contact Zoe and follow her dad, John Anderson's Walk for Justice. You'll find all her contact details at the start of the Praise blog. I'll remind you in a moment of how to find that on our website. New ways of being church is something we're often talking about on Praise. And how about this for a great example? Today, there won't be a service in Trinity Methodist Church at Rosemount here in Douglas. Instead, this morning at half past ten on Douglas Promenade, just near the War Memorial opposite the Gaiety Theatre, Reverend Richard Hooton will lead a short open-air service, just two hymns, a Bible reading and a prayer. This will be followed by a beach clean along the high tide line with the support of Beach Buddies. Trinity Church members are doing this to show their care for the environment, God's world and their support for the practical work of groups like Beach Buddies. It'll also be a really memorable time of fellowship, a hugely important part of being church. But for anyone who can't join the outdoor service, there'll be a congregational praise service led by members of the Prom Church family at half past ten this morning at the Promenade Church here in Douglas, where there'll be light refreshments for everyone after the beach clean. Beach cleaning in Douglas, taking the church outside the buildings, is just one of the many things that I'll be talking about with my guest next week. I think loads of people are seeking something and many people know that there's something that's not there inside them that they're looking for. I find that people are very open, particularly if you're asking them about spirituality and you're asking them about God. I think once we start asking them about church, their answers start to change. But once you start asking them about, do you think God is there? Are you searching for something spiritual? The answer is generally is a yes. Well spotted if you said, that's Alex Brown. It is. And Reverend Alex Brown joins me at this time next Sunday, talking about his approach to people who want to talk more about God, but less about church, and an explanation of why his latest book comes complete with a generous serving of chips and has a delicious title. That's all on Praise next Sunday. Thank you for listening to this week's Praise podcast. There's a new Praise podcast available every Sunday morning. You can subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify via the Manx Radio smartphone app or at manxradio.com. So, till we meet again, this is Judith saying thank you for your company and I wish you and those you love every blessing in the days ahead. <laughs>